Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Sorry we're late, but we are here. Let's turn to Galucha, Galatians chapter 5. Before we get into Galatians chapter 5, a couple of announcements for you. December 19th, we'll be coming to FEMA Region 4 at 5 o'clock for an Adobe Connect IB uh, meeting. So that is 5 o'clock Pacific time. Um, if you want to sign up for that, go to info at torahtothetribes.com. So that is FEMA Region 4 we're going to be coming to through Adobe Connect. Also on the website, torahtothetribes.com, the Fellowship Finder is now live. Now, this is a great platform that's going to have a lot more security to keep your stuff private. So not some old Mickey Mouse can get on there and start stalking you. It keeps all of your info private, and you'll release what you want and what you don't want, you keep to yourself. I'm way more into the security than what we had before. I wasn't into that at all. So Fellowship Finder, it's locked down and secure, so you can join that, TorahToTheTribes.com. So let's go to Galucha, Galatians chapter 5, diving right in. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty in which Moshiach has made us free. And be not harnessed again under the yoke of slavery. So what are we at liberty to? And of course, we know that this has been misinterpreted for millennia. We're at liberty to Christmas. We're at liberty to do whatever we want that is synchristic and a bunch of pagan lawlessness. And that's how it has been interpreted. That's your liberty. No, in the context, we are at liberty to be in covenant Torah. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. We have been given the new covenant that is given as Torah. Covenant and Torah being the emphasis there. You need to be in Torah covenant. We're at liberty to be in covenant Torah. Not lawlessness, not syncretism, nor a return to Judaism's Torah, 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 there's Torah everywhere, Torah to you. Hello, welcome to the Torah. Torah, Torah, five books of Torah, it's all about Torah. And we interpret it through the lens of Judaism. No, we're not at liberty to do that. We're at liberty to covenant Torah, the rightly dividing point. Look at verse 2. Behold, I shall all say to you that if you become... Brit Milah, circumcised, Mashiach shall profit you nothing. Now, you can bypass this scripture, or you can take it at the serious weight of it. Because this is a very sobering scripture that we had better get the interpretation correct. Because the consequences are huge. And for me, there's a lot of all this going on. But I want to make sure that we're understanding this correctly. So let's really slow this down, because there's serious consequences to verse 2. Behold, I shall say to you that if you become circumcised, Brit Milah, Moshiach shall profit you nothing. Now that should make you sweat and keep you awake at night. Right? That's serious. For I testify again to every man that is Brit Milah, circumcised, that he is a debtor 
to the whole Torah. Moshiach has become no effect to you. Selah. Pause. So, to keep the whole Torah, listen. To keep the whole Torah is used as a negative assessment. Is it not? Is it not? Pause. To keep the whole Torah, verse 2, is used definitively as a negative assessment by Shaul, equivalent to Yahusha being of no use to you. You've been severed from Messiah. You've been severed from Messiah. Now, how are you going to deal with this verse as a messianic in the Hebrew roots? To keep the whole Torah is used as a negative assessment by Shaul. And that Yahushua is of no use to you if you do that. So messianics, they have to admit, Hebrew roots, has to admit to two Torahs. They have to admit to two Torahs, do they not? Based upon this verse, you have to admit to two Torahs, or a minimum, at least, a division of the Torah. But the problem is that they use extra-biblical theory which is written law and an oral law dichotomy to soothe this verse and accomplish that means. But this written law, oral law dichotomy that we've all heard about in the Hebrew Roots movement, it is a non-biblical theory based upon rabbinic interpretation and rabbinic History, which is untrustworthy at best. There is two Torahs. But it is not an oral law theory and a written law. But there is two Torahs. It's the book of the law and the book of the covenant, which is based upon what? Textual evidence. It's in the Bible. It's in the Torah. It's in the Brit Hadashah. It's in Hebrew. It's in the Septuagint. It's in the Greek of the Brit Hadashah. It is a solid biblical matter. It's not theory. There are two Torahs. There is a division of Torah that the Messianics and Hebrew roots admit, but they soothe this verse with a theory of an oral law, written law dichotomy based upon non-biblical interpretation. Whereas we're saying, yes, there has to be two Torahs, a division of Torah. It's based upon Bible, Bible, Bible. Book of the law, book of the covenant, 
in the text, if Yahweh had wanted to call a rocket an aeroplane, he would have done. What do I mean? How come in our language today, an aeroplane is an aeroplane and a rocket is a rocket? They're not synonymous. They're two totally different words. Yet we go to the Bible and all of a sudden we're like, well, no, actually in the Bible though, when you come to the book of the covenant and the book of the law, they're they're actually the same. That's asinine. You don't use that in your regular living in an interpretation of language. So why on earth are you trying to fool me with that silliness when we come to the text? It's It's asinine. But that is what people do. The lengths that people will go to to try and support an oral law fabrication that doesn't exist in the scriptures. You see, and this verse, verse 2, it tells you that to keep the whole Torah is used as a negative assessment by Shaul. And it's equivalent to Yahusha of being no use to you. So Shaul states that we're actually not obligated to keep the whole Torah as understood by the Jews of the day. But to keep the whole Torah as understood by Abraham. Look at Galatians 5.3. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole Torah. Right here is a text that is showing you that there is a division of Torah. Do you see that? Because you're not cognizant of the covenant breach if you're keeping the whole of the Torah. You're not cognizant of the covenant breach. Therefore, what happens? You place a yoke upon yourself that not even our fathers could keep. That's what it says in Masha Shlachim, the book of Acts. You see, you place yourself outside the deliverance of Messiah's blood ratification in relationship to Torah. And that's why that verse is so serious. You place yourself outside the deliverance of Messiah's blood ratification in relation to Torah. You see, Judaism, and by default, the Hebrew roots, have all lumped the book of the law and the book of the covenant into one Torah. Because they haven't rightly divided the word of truth, the word of Torah. And instead, they follow a theory of a written law and oral law dichotomy to answer the obvious law division or two Torahs that we see right here in the text of verse 2 that you have to address, that you simply have to address. You can't connect the oral law theory back to Abraham, can you? You cannot. You cannot connect the oral law theory back to Abraham. You can connect it back to the rabbis, but you cannot connect it back to Abraham. So Galatians falls flat on its face. It does. Because Galatians demands that you connect it back to Abraham. And oral law will only connect you back to the rabbis of the first century. And therefore, your interpretation of Galatians falls flat on its face. 
And that's what happened to me. It took me a a long time and maturity to be able to see that. But now I want to communicate that to you so you don't waste a decade of your life listening to the doctrines and teachings of men, whether they're in the institutionalized church or in the Hebrew Roots movement. It's not worth wasting a decade of your life when the truth is clear in the scripture that the dichotomy is the book of the law and the book of the covenant. Not my opinion, Yahuwah's word. And that is freedom. That's freedom to the written word of Yahuwah. And I love how the word of Yahuwah truly frees us. It frees us from men's interpretations and doctrines because we know that Galatians demands your hermeneutics connect back to Abraham and we know that Abraham was righteous and he kept Yahuwah's Torah. And that was the book of the covenant Torah. He never knew the book of the law. He never knew a Levite. He only knew Yahuwah's covenant Torah. Now we're going to get into circumcision. If you're under 18 or you're very sensitive, you might want to leave the room. Because I'll try and keep it kosher, but (laughs) I'll try and rein in my sense of humor, but it's a tough one. So mothers, Moshe... I don't know. This might be above. I hope it's above your head. (laughs) Yeah, really. We know with circumcision, Yahuwah had attached physical circumcision. Bereshit 17. Genesis 17 to what? Of course, Bereshit, Genesis 15, Genesis 15. Circumcision in Genesis 17 is attached to the covenant between the pieces in Genesis 15. So this is where we begin our look into circumcision because it's very important that we understand what Shaul is talking about when we look at Brit Milah, circumcision. Because Yahuwah made the covenant, he swore that oath to Abraham in Genesis 12 by no one higher than himself. Yet Abraham came back and he requested some kind of guarantee. How do I know that I will really inherit this? Well, now I'm going to ask you to flay open the pieces. And in Genesis 15, he walks between the pieces. And then there's a sign attached to the walking to the, between the pieces. Two chapters later in Genesis 17, the cutting of the flesh is the sign that's connected back to Genesis 15. This is circumcision. But the answer to that promise that was given in Genesis 14, Genesis 15, excuse me, that answer, when did it come? 430 years later, when they were at Mount Sinai, the blood ratification of the book of the covenant was the answer given to the promise of Abraham 430 years later. So we have to understand that when they broke that covenant at the golden calf, they broke everything that was connected to it, which included the covenant entrance sign, which was the circumcision. This is the context of what we're talking about. Once that seal, which came 430 years later than Genesis 15, it came at Exodus 19, that seal 
That answer to the promise, which was the book of the covenant, once that was broken, it broke the promise also, correct? And once you broke that promise, it also broke the covenant sign that was the entrance sign to it. So now you come to the fact that for 40 years after they left Egypt, no one was circumcised. They didn't circumcise their children. Why not? They wore seat seats, which were a reminder of them to keep the commandment. Yet there is no instance in Scripture where Moshe, Rabbeinu, chastises Israel. Hey, you're wearing seat seats, but you're not circumcised and you're keeping the Passover. Why isn't that recorded? There's no chastisement from Yahuwah. Hey, you're wearing seat seats, which are a reminder to keep the commandments, but you're not keeping the commandment of circumcision. Forty years, nothing. You got Levites wearing seat seats, uncircumcised, sitting down at Passover. What's going on? There is no point circumcising into a broken covenant. What's the point? It's a mute issue until you get to Joshua chapter 5 verse 5. And then circumcision occurs, but it is not connected back to Genesis 15. It's a totally different point of what circumcision is. Circumcision in Joshua chapter 5 verse 5 is a land entrance token. Joshua 5 verse 5. Now all the people that came out were circumcised. But all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt. This is from Exodus 32 till Joshua chapter 5 verse 5. Them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were the men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed. And this is the most important thing. Think about it. Before the golden calf breach and that covenant break of Exodus 32, prior to the 40-year wilderness lapse of Joshua 5, verse 5, physical circumcision, what was it? It used to be the premier entrance sign into the covenant. You weren't in the covenant without it, were you? You weren't in the covenant unless you were circumcised. It was the premier entrance sign to the covenant of Genesis 15. That was the entrance sign to the covenant. But once you've broken the covenant, what's the point of having the sign of entrance into a broken covenant? It's a moot point, right? Your wedding ring is only as good as your marriage vows and your fidelity. But once you're an infidel and you break your marriage vows and you go to the judge who gives you additional laws, well, you can see the kids every other weekend, what's the point of your wedding ring? It means nothing. It's a moot point. You may as well take it down the pawn shop because you broke everything that the sign stands for. There's no point in wearing one because you're a whoremonger, a hypocrite, right? 
That's circumcision. Circumcision is only as good as the covenant that you were faithful to. Once you broke the covenant at the golden calf, your circumcision is uncircumcision. Therefore, you can wear seat seats, come to Passover, and you get no wrath from Moshe Rabbeinu or Yahuwah because there's no point circumcising into a broken covenant. So now, circumcision today has got nothing to do with the covenant of Abraham. It is a land entrance token. And that is what Judaism and Christianity cannot discern, and thereby the Messianic movement cannot discern. They still believe that circumcision is connected back to Abraham. That covenant's broken broken at the golden calf. Circumcision today, as verified by Ezekiel when he took his 13 scrolls to the nations, is a land entrance token. You're going to come back to the land? Then you know what? You've got to be circumcised of heart and circumcised of flesh. Ezekiel communicated that to the nations. It's always been a land entrance token since Joshua 5.5 because the covenant was broken. This is the whole context of Shaul communicating to the Galatians. And it seems for 2,000 years or more, 3,500 years, people have not understood this. But Shaul understands it and he communicates it to the Galatians. And now we are the recipients of this revelation. It's huge. It's huge. Yahuwah's Genesis 12 oath didn't require any human responsibility at all, did it? None whatsoever, including circumcision. And now, because they broke the covenant, that covenant which was attached to Genesis 15 and the covenant sign, we understand why we have to interpret the scripture the way that Shaul communicated to the Galatians. Because there is a very, very Torah reason why Shaul's New Testament position on uncircumcision is correct. And for those of you that like to take notes, I want to give you 10 points to help you understand this. Number one. Genesis 12 is Yahuwah's oath. It's his oath to an uncircumcised Abram that required nothing of Abram and nothing of his descendants, including circumcision. Number two, Genesis 15 is the guarantee covenant that guarantees the promise already made. At Genesis 12. Number three, the Genesis 15 covenant, of course, carried a death position penalty, and that was then attached by Yahweh to the circumcision sign of Genesis 17. There's an attachment between 15 and 17. Do you see that in the scripture? Number four, The Genesis 15 promise required an answer or a seal better 
a seal, which was, of course, that book of the covenant that Abraham's descendants accepted and agreed to. And, of course, that seal came 430 years later at the foot of the mountain in Exodus 19, verse 5. And number five, the book of the covenant made Israel a nation of, a nation of, a nation of Malkitzedic priests. They broke the covenant, number six, in just about 40 days. Number seven, they defiled themselves and thus they were no longer qualified to be Malkitzedic priests. Number eight, in lieu of total annihilation, total annihilation, Yahweh granted them to be a nation with Levitical priests. And there's your contrast. So you've got the contrast between a nation of Malkitzedic priests to the contrast of number, number eight, a nation with Levitical priests. There's a huge difference right there. A huge difference right there. A nation with Levitical priests from one tribe, and they were put under the book of the law, which was the schoolmaster imposed upon them until the time of Reformation when the seed would come. Number nine, the book of the covenant was the answer, that seal, if you will, that came 430 years after the promise given to Abraham, Galatians 3.17. And you cannot break that 430-year-removed answer or seal without breaking the promise itself, correct? And finally, number 10. The proof is that Genesis 15 carries a condition, and that's the death position penalty. We can see that was played out by our master's crucifixion, looking at the halved animals at Genesis 15. And this is the point that Shaul is making about circumcision that so few understand. The answer or the seal that came 430 years later that was given to Abraham, that book of the covenant that we teach so much about, it required circumcision as an entrance sign to that covenant. But the Israelite descendants of Abraham, they broke that answer. They broke that seal that came 430 years later within 40 days. They broke that circumcision seal, that entrance sign into the covenant. Now there's nothing to enter into, right? There's nothing to enter into. They defiled it. They broke it. So therefore, this is the revelation. The point of physical circumcision as the sign of entrance into the covenant is now a moot issue, is it not? Totally. And that's Paul's very point. Romans chapter 2, verse 25 but if thou be a breaker of the law, the Torah, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. That's why they didn't get circumcised for 40 years, yet they wore seed seats and were Levites and had Passover. Because your circumcision is made uncircumcision because you broke the covenant. 1 Corinthians 7.19 
Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments, well, that's everything, right? Galatians 5, 6. For in Yahushua, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faithfulness. But faithfulness. Galatians 6, 15. For in Yahushua, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but you need to be a new creature. Colossians 3.11, neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. Galatians 5.11, and I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still suffering persecution if I still preach that doctrine? So the question is, the question is, to circumcise? Oh, you don't want to do that accent. <laughs> to circumcise or not to circumcise? Easy. Easy. Steady on, Eddie. To circumcise or not to circumcise? <laughs> that is the question, is it not? <laughs> Just know this, that if you do get circumcised, information is everything, isn't it? Know why you're doing what you're doing. Because if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, you could end up putting it through the meat grinder and not realizing why. I told you, if you're under 18, you might want to exit the building. Or sensitive in that. If you do get circumcised, just know that you're being obedient to the second command of Joshua 5.2. Know why you're doing it. And that was, of course, after the 40-year circumcision lapse under the Levitical priesthood. You are not, if you get circumcised today, since Exodus 32, you are not being obedient to the first commandment of Genesis 17. Just understand that. If you get circumcised today, you are being obedient to the land entrance sign of Joshua 5.2. You are not being obedient to the Genesis 17 commandment under the Malkitzedic priesthood because that covenant was broke. And now the only way of entrance into it is the circumcision by the hands of the master. And that's Paul's very point. And that's huge. That's huge. And people will ask me, well, shall I get circumcised or shall I not? Well, just know that if you do get circumcised, it's the land entrance commandment of Joshua 5.2 that you're being obedient to. Do not be deceived by Christianity, rabbinical Judaism, and the Hebrew Roots movement, which will tell you, oh, yes, you're being obedient to Genesis 17, because that is a bunch of untruth and tradition based upon not understanding the distinction between covenant and covenant violation. And it's huge. It's huge. Look at Joshua 5.2. And at that time, Yahweh said to Yehoshua, make yourselves sharp knives. They've got to be sharp. I mean, really, don't they? <sighs> And make sure you rinse the sand out of the um, flint, right? Okay? Make sure you've got yourself sharp knives. Stainless steel is preferable. And perform brit milah again upon the children of Israel a second time. 
I've got to pause here. Okay, so if you're, like I say, I've already given the warning. So now this is, I, I've been in the Hebrew roots for over a decade, and I've seen some crazy stuff. I've got to tell you, grown men, literally, at home. I mean, you might not want to imagine this, but this shows you how perverted and messed up the Hebrew roots is and the Messianic movement. Grown men at home pricking their member with a needle because, you know, they grew up in America and they were already circumcised. So they thought, well, they, you know, better just do it again just in case because they wanted to enter into the covenant. Grown men doing that. Other grown men that were perverts literally cutting their nuts off or chemically becoming eunuchs. I mean, let, I mean I've come across this in you know, the 10 or so years. People, grown men, messing around with their member because they're trying to understand Scripture. Is that what this is about? I mean, give me. I mean, if that doesn't tell you that your theology is wrong. I, I just don't know what to say. And those of you out here in the internet world, they know that this is true. I mean, we've had people literally that have wanted to check people's members at the door for Passover. And that's not just this congregation. It's been all over the place. Is that what this is? Does that not show you how far you have strayed from the word? I mean, let's just call a spade a spade, right? Are you even allowed to say that? Are we talking playing cards, hearts, diamonds, spades, or are we talking something worse? I, I hope not. Anyway, this playing card's good, okay. Joshua 5.2. And at the time, Yahuwah said to Yehoshua, make yourselves sharp knives and perform brit milah again the children upon, upon the children of Israel a second time. And Yehoshua made a sharp knife and he performed brit milah upon the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. Now, how come we don't have any? We've got Goshen down the road. We've got Kings Valley. I mean, what's up? I'm, uh, some of you need to like, petition the state. We need a, that hill over there. We need to call it the hill of the foreskins. See, why not? I mean, right, let's do it. All right, Hill of the Foreskins. Yeah, come to tour to the tribe Salem, 4660, Hill of the Foreskins, <laughs> Salem, Oregon. And this is the reason why Yehoshua did perform Brit Milah upon the people. All the people that came out of Mitzrayim that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, in the derek, in the way after they came out of Mitzrayim, Egypt. Verse 5. Now all the people that came out had received Brit Milah, circumcision. But all the people that were born in the wilderness, in the derek, in the way, as they had come out of Mitzrayim, had not received Brit Milah, circumcision. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness and not a peep from Yahuwah, not a peep from Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And they're keeping Passover. They're wearing seat seats. You've got to ask yourself why. You've got to. Why don't people address this? Let's just roll right past it so we can keep our tradition, sit at home and prick our members with sewing needles. This is insanity. This is, the, this is the stuff that I've looked at over a decade. And I'm like, yeah, dear, I've got to get back in the Word because something something's, something's not sitting right here with me. 
Okay, keep your sewing needles to your blooming sewing needles. I mean, really? And this is the thing. I'm like, there's got to be something wrong when grown men are doing this to themselves. I don't want to be a part of that movement. Because that's just not right. That's just wrong, isn't it? We live in a very sick and twisted world. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the people that were men of war who came out of Mitzrayim were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of Yahuwah, to whom Yahuwah swore that he would not show them the land which Yahuwah swore to their avult, their fathers, that he would give us a land that flows with milk and honey. And their children whom he raised up in their place. Upon those did Yehoshua perform Brit Milah. For they were uncircumcised, because they had not performed Brit Milah on the derek, the way. And it came to pass, when they had done performing Brit Milah upon all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp until they were healed. Galatians 5.3 Whoever you are declared to be a Zadik by the Torah, you are fallen from unmerited favor. For we, through the Ruach HaKodesh, we wait for the Tikva, the hope of Zadikah by Emunah, righteousness by faith. The point being, seeking to be justified by the book of the law was seeking to find right standing and covenant status with Yahuwah through following a broken circumcision entrance sign. A ritual which was no longer valid for the purpose that the Jews assumed. Now listen, I didn't say it wasn't valid anymore because people will twist my words. I didn't say that. I said... It is no longer valid for the purpose of which the Jews assumed. And that's key. And that's key. For in Yahushua HaMashiach, neither Brit Milah, circumcision, is anything. Nor Akrobustia, those tossed away foreskins. But Emunah, faith which works in Ahava, love. You did run well before. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Verse 8. This persuasion comes not of him that has called you. Because a little chametz, a little leaven, leavens the whole lump, does it not? You see, I have confidence in you through Yahuwah that you will not think any differently. But he that vexes you shall bear his mishpat judgment Whoever he is, a little bit of the book of the law masquerading as blood-ratified covenant Torah is going to leaven your whole Torah walk. It's going to leaven it. I know because it leavened mine. But I have a heart for Yahuwah and I have been brit milah halev and that is his saving grace. Right? Look at verse 11. Time for some refreshment. And I, Israelite brothers, 
if I still proclaim Brit Milah, why do I suffer persecution? Then is the stumbling block of the tree ceased. Now, there's five points that I want to make. Number one, about this verse. People were saying that Shaul, they were saying that Shaul was in agreement with their position, that the Galatians needed to circumcise into the community and follow local Jewish halakha as interpreted through the book of the law to be granted covenant status. And that simply wasn't so. And number two, by the use of the Greek word eti, which means still, Shaul is admitting something, is he not? He's admitting to having once taught this doctrine too. Sometime in the past, he taught this doctrine. Number three, he reasons that if he was still preaching and teaching that circumcision and book of the law adherence equated to covenant entrance, there would be no good explanation whatsoever for his never-ending persecution, would there? He would have been embraced by the majority, and that's not happening, is it? Number four, Shaul's view is that to teach circumcision and book of the law observance would have sheltered him from persecution, and it would have nullified Yahushua's centrality and Yahushua's blood ratification in that new covenant which was given in Torah, which of course connects back to the Malkitzedic promises of Abraham. Number five, Shaul here, he addresses two groups, approaches to covenant status. So there's two groups and they're approaching covenant status very differently. A, group A, circumcision and book of the law adherence, that's the way to go. And group B, Messiah's blood ratification and subsequent establishment of the new covenant, which was given as Torah, Hebrews 8.6. Now again, the emphasis is on covenant and Torah. That's the way to go. So which group are you going to be in? Group A or group B? Because these two views, and thereby these two groups, A and B, could never stand in one accord because one nullifies the other. So what are you? Is it circumcision and book of the law adherence, an undivided Torah? Or are you in group B? It's about Messiah's blood ratification and subsequent establishment as the new covenant given as Torah. Hebrews 8, 6, emphasis being covenant Torah. Because the two shall not meet. And that is the reality of the days that we live in. You see, the death of Yahushua has become and had become at the time of this writing a huge stumbling block to the Jewish community. Because it represented a completely opposite view to their own view of covenant membership. A completely opposite view 
to their own view of covenant membership. Yahushua changes that. He changes that for us all. You see, if Yahushua's death alone brought in covenant right standing, then the Jews no longer owned the self-appointed title of we are the righteous elect people. That was the self-appointed title that they had given themselves since the Hasmonean days of old. They were the righteous elect people. They were the ones that gave you admission into Israel, and they alone. But Yahushua changes that, does he not? Because they stole that, and that stolen right was taken away from them, and it was placed in Yahushua alone. And there's the rub. And today it's even worse. Today it's even worse, because we've got fake Jews, fake Jews, giving themselves the self-appointed title of the righteous elect people, giving you admission into the Hebrew roots and messianic movement at $200 a pop. Right? Wrong. But that's what we're dealing with today. Can't you see why they hated Yahushua so? Can't you see why they hated him so? Because his blood ratification and Malkitzedic covenant is such a stumbling block as it still is today. Look at verse 12. I desire that they who trouble you, that they would even mutilate themselves, that they would even cut themselves off. And this is speaking of, of course, Hatafat Dambri where somebody would mutilate themselves like today. We've got the gentlemen sitting in their wives' sewing rooms pricking themselves. They're mutilating themselves because they were circumcised in America at birth, but they just want to do it again because they're now Torah observant. They're mutilating themselves because they're not understanding what Shaul is talking about, the distinction between circumcision into a broken covenant, which is a moot point, or circumcision as a land entrance sign, and that Yahushua's blood establishes what? A circumcision greater it is by the hands of the crucified and pierced master. So therefore, you've got men back in the day of, of, of Shaul mutilating themselves, and you've got men in the messianic movement mutilating themselves. And this is what made me go, oh, done, done. This is ridiculous. Something is wrong with my theology if I'm in the company of lunatics. Right? You don't want to be in a trench with that guy during the tribulation, right? Good night. I don't want to go to the urinal with that guy. Adi. Henry, Philippians 3, 2, beware of the meat grinder. That's what it says, something like that. Beware of the mutilation. Then and now, beware of it. Philippians 3, 2. Seriously, nothing new under the sun. I desire... Verse 12, that they who trouble you, they would even mutilate themselves. They would even cut themselves off. For Israelite brothers, you have been called to liberty, 
Only use not liberty as an occasion for the flesh, but by ahava, love, serve one another. And now verse 12, verse 12, this is an amazing, an amazing Malkitsedic inference. An amazing in Malkitsedic inference. The emphasis is on priestly. The emphasis is on priestly because the book of the law is extremely specific about the place of people that cut themselves off. If you become a eunuch, what happens? You who mutilate yourselves, you who cut yourselves off, you have no right into the priesthood of Malkizedek. That's what Shaul's talking about. Because eunuchs, they were what? Banned from the priesthood, even in the book of the law. And right here, this is a huge Malkitzedic priesthood inference from Shaul. If you do that, you're cut off from the Malkitzedic priesthood. Just like eunuchs in the Torah, in the book of the law, were cut off from the Levitical priesthood. You who mutilate yourselves, you're done. You're done. Why? Deuteronomy 23 verse 1, Leviticus 21 verse 20, Shaul is saying, you've disqualified yourself from the priesthood and the congregation. You've self-castrated yourself with your beliefs and you have cut yourself off from the covenant promises of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12. This is outrageous. Verse 14, for all the Torah is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And where did that come from? That was from the second tablet of the book of the covenant. Context is everything, is it not? But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by each other. This I say then, have your halakha, have your walk in the Ruach HaKodesh, and you shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh, for the flesh craves what is harmful to the Ruach HaKodesh. And the Ruach HaKodesh opposes the desires of the flesh, does it not? Isn't that our struggle? That's been my struggle ever since I got saved. This constant battle between the flesh and the Ruach HaKodesh that is within me. This constant battle. Life was so much easier when you were just given over to the flesh because you didn't care. You had no conscience. But now the flesh rages and the spirit is strong and there's this battle. Which one are you going to feed, right? So we, we, we say, you know, which dog are you going to feed? The white dog or the black dog? Because whichever one you feed is going to get stronger and devour the other. So we have got to feed the Ruach HaKodesh. Otherwise, you're just a carnal believer. Because that's the battle. You can never go back. Once the Ruach HaKodesh is in you, oh, you can have fantasies about what happened in the past and how we... But you can never go back. Because you are a new creation. And the old man is dead. And that is the struggle, though. Because you hear those voices, I know I do, not literally, of the old man calling you back when you hear a familiar music is the one, isn't it? You've got to be careful of music, right? Because music, you can listen to a piece of music, oh, it'll connect you right back 
30 years back, and you're like, whoa, and you feel all those emotions. And so you've got to be careful what you listen to. You've got to be careful what you watch. You've got to be careful what you say, because I tell you what, verse 18, but if the Ruach HaKodesh leads you, you are not under the systems that pervert the Torah. Verse 19, for the works of the flesh, they are evident among you which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, indecency, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, quarrels, jealousies, rage, strife, self-ambition, stubbornness, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild, indecent parties, and all such things about which I warn you again, as I have also done in times past, that those who practice such things as the Derek, their way of life, they shall not inherit the malchut of Yahweh. You shall not inherit the kingdom of Yahweh. You see, we are engaged in this conflict, are we not? And we're told, avoid and oppose, avoid and oppose, avoid and oppose. And then we're told, cherish and cultivate, cherish and cultivate. And that's the battle. I've got to avoid and oppose and cherish and cultivate. And, and sometimes, yeah, no, 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 right? Avoid and oppose, avoid and oppose, cherish and cultivate, cherish and cultivate. So there's four, four major classifications of the work of the flesh. This is what we're to avoid. This is what to oppose. Number one, sins of lust. Number two, sins of lacking submission to Yahweh and superstition. Number three, sins of the temper. And number four, sins of the appetite. There's 17 listed now. Number one, adultery. We're talking about sexual violation of marriage. Unlawful sexual relationships in general between men and women. Number two, fornication. We're talking about voluntary sexual relations with the unmarried. You start hooking up before marriage, you're a fornicator. That's some serious business. They don't teach that in the institutionalized church today. It's serious. Number three, uncleanness. We're talking pornographic material. I don't care whether it's written, whether it's pictures, whether it's the computer, whether it's a book, whether it's a magazine, whether it's written or spoken. It is uncleanness. It's whatever is the opposite of pure. We're talking about sodomy, homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexual, bestiality, and all such perversions that should not even be spoken. But we live in a sick and twisted world, a perverse generation. Number four is, of course, la It's a big word for me today. La chivasse. I can't say it. You say it. I knew I'd fumble. Speak it out loud. I'm not even going to attempt. I'm too tongue-tied. There we go. That word. That's talking about your, your thoughts are undisciplined. It's the desires of your heart, desires of your mind, and it inf infiltrates and it affects your, condu your conduct, your language. It's lewdness. It's wanton, lustful. It's indecent. You're an undisciplined person. You're unmanaged. Your behavior just gets the most of you. You're someone who follows their passions and their lusts and desires to the point where you're not even, you've got no shame. 
There's no such thing as shame anymore in your life. Public decency, you couldn't care less about it. And you see that today, do you not, in the culture? It's like, where's your pride, man? You got no shame? Now, the next two sins are sins that involve superstition and a lack of knowledge of the Creator. Very serious. Of course, number five is idolatry. And it's worship of anything other than Yahweh. This includes praying to saints and statutes and hoping that Yahweh will hear you because you pray to a saint or a statue. That's idolatry. It's idolatry. We stopped going to a bloody Chinese restaurant because you go in there and it's this massive Buddha and then they'd bring you your food out and place it on a tray and I'm like, forget this. This is, this is nuts. I'm not going to buy something that's um, a part of that. Putting anything in the place of Yahuwah, making a high place of vice even, that's idolatry. Worshipping spirits, accepting influencing spirits, talking to the dead, having the, a, the tattoo of a dead family member's birth written on your, on your skin. That's popular today with the millennials. This is all part of that witchcraft and idolatry. Praying for the dead, graven images, anything which our extreme passions and affections are set. And then the sixth one, of course, witchcraft. And you've got to be careful of Disney if you've got children. It's full of witchcraft. Disney, it's just witchcraft for children. It's outrageous. Of course, witchcraft includes tattoos for the dead, inscribing a deceased one's date onto your flesh. Superstition as a practice, where does it come from? It comes from fear and ignorance. Fear and ignorance, or the unknown, magic spells, incarnations, charms, potions, sorcery, black magic, irresistible influences. These are all witchcraft. Today, you've got spiritualism, ESP, talking to the dead, using drugs to bring spiritual feelings. And you've got to be careful in Oregon where they've made weed legal. Do you know how many believers or they get stoned? Oh, because I connect better with Yahweh in my prayer life. That's witchcraft. You're using drugs to get a spiritual connection with the Creator? No. Just because the state says it's okay doesn't make it right in the assembly of Yahweh. Get real, get right, and get righteous. That's not what we're to be doing. You can't go and get your vice from the world and say, well, it's okay. Because the next thing you know, you're corrupted totally. Horoscopes. If you're in England, stop reading bloody tea leaves. Right? I mean, seriously. It's everywhere. It's all witchcraft. Now there are nine works of the flesh that deal with the temper. Number seven, hatred. That's talking about intense hostility. And it's usually, it's usually comes from a place of fear. Anger and a sense of personal affront or, in, or you offended me. And it's often, though, it often comes from our childhood. It comes from generations past, involving a lack of forgiveness and extreme dislike. We need to address those things, overcome those things. Number eight, the eighth work of the flesh right here, we're seeing variance. It means you're incompatible, you're opposite. You're always blooming disagreeable. 
You're always disputing. Why are you always in conflict? You have a license to be contrary. That's what that's talking about, variance. Number nine, emulations. Striving to excel. You want to always be better than the person right next to you. You're always seeking to surpass somebody. It's called rivalry and competition in our liberal world, but it's really emulations. You can't stand other people's success. Where is that in our faith? It should have no part of our faith. Number 10, wrath. That's lasting long-term anger. It's fits of rage where you become violent, explosive in anger, blow up in words and actions. It can be domestic or civil, turmoils. It's these turbulent passions that rise up. Number 11, strife. Strong, hostile feelings. You're disagreeable. You're argumentative. You're always desiring debates. I'm always very, very cautious when people are, yeah, I want to debate you, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, I bet you do. Yeah. I can see that now. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a work of the flesh. And we're like, oh, it's a debate. And you're like, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. We're believers and we're behaving like that. I can't watch that stuff. The Ruach Kakodesh will not allow me to do that. Because if I was to debate you, oh my goodness, my flesh, for me to get into the debate mindset, I have to work my flesh and I want to crush and destroy and own you. And I can do it. I used to be the best debater. But for me to do that, I have to go to a place that is not right. It is not right. Because if I'm going to debate, I'm going to win. And I am going to literally publicly shame and destroy you. That is evil. And I recognize that's my flesh. I won't do it. Because I am not that man anymore. Now, 10 years ago, when I first came, 10, 12 years ago, oh yeah, we had Christian pastors around our house for debates. And I would, they would leave in tears right? In tears. Grown men. And I'd have spectators lined up just watching me. I would make grown men cry. But to do that, I cycled 600 miles a month rehearsing my debate for a month playing it and replaying it, scripture and scripture. If they go with this scripture, I'm going to that scripture, and then I'm going to counter it. And then after a month of cycling in the snow, in the dark, in the rain, I'm ready for a debate. That man, thank goodness, is dead. But that's what it takes to win a debate. And that's not the man that I'm willing to be. Because look, that is nothing else than the spirit of strife. Praise Yahweh that I've been delivered from that. We all need to be delivered from that. Because that is not the witness to the believing community of men up there squabbling and fighting. Debating? That comes from Greece. That's Greco-Roman paganism. It's not in the Bible. It's not scriptural. It's variance. 
It's strife. Number 12, seditions. That's about not being supportive. Supportive. You won't help the community. You won't help your family. You're rebellious. You're not submitted to any kind of authority. You are a divisive individual, and you'll stir up trouble and discontent wherever you go. You break up friends. You foster social cliques. You make factions appear wherever you go, and you resist and you rebel. That's the spirit of seditiousness. And 13, those are apostasy. That work of the flesh, that's apostasy. That's just the failure to conform to biblical standards. You want to deny the truth even when it's staring at you right in the face. That's apostasy. To keep opinions that are contrary to the gospel. Dissension and deviation. 14, We're looking at the works of the flesh, the 14th here, envyings, to desire what another has, to debase others. You're jealous of other people's blessings. You become resentful. You're never satisfied. And you have a sense of superiority over others in your life. That's envyings. Number 15, murders, to kill, obviously, to take somebody's life. But you can take somebody's life out in word and, of course, in deed, but it's to spoil or mar another's character. That's the murderous spirit. And the last two sins, of course, they're the sins of the appetite, drunkenness. That's drinking bouts and revelings. It's that party-hardy spirit. And that's what I grew up with. Oh, yeah. Just the party spirit. I mean, that was it. Excessive feasting, orgies, any activities given to pleasure and hedonism any of it. Look at verse 22. But there's hope for us, is there not? Hallelujah. The story doesn't end there because we have the Ruach HaKodesh and without the Ruach HaKodesh, we're done. We're done, right? But the fruit of the Ruach HaKodesh is Ahava. Love, simcha, joy, shalom, peace, patience, chesed, rachamin, trustworthiness, gentleness, self-control. There is no true Torah that is against this kind of tov fruit. And they that are Moshiachs, they have controlled the flesh with its affections and its desires. And conversely now, here's what we're to cherish. Here's what we're supposed to be cultivating. And there is six steps towards cultivating and cherishing the Ruach HaKodesh. Six steps towards cultivating and cherishing the Ruach HaKodesh. And we'll finish up with these. Number one, emunah. Faith. The first step to cherishing and cultivating the Ruach HaKodesh is faith. It's faith, emunah. Do you really believe? Do you really believe sin will no longer have dominion over you? I believe that. Sin will no longer have dominion over me, Romans 6.14. This is the kind of confidence that Shaul meant by reckoning, reckoning ourselves dead to sin and alive to Yahweh, Romans 6.11. And in Romans 8.14... You can't even be, this is serious stuff, you can't even be a child of Yahuwah unless you are led by the Ruach. 
For as many are as led by the Ruach of Elohim, these are the sons of Elohim. If you're not led by the Ruach of Elohim, you're disqualified from being a child of Elohim. So we have to be led by the Ruach of Elohim. Because if you're a child of Yahuwah, you have a solid and unshakable promise that Yahuwah will give you victory. He will give you victory over those powerful desires of the flesh. I'm a testimony to it because naturally I was a very carnal, hedonistic man. Wherever the next party was, that was it. I came over to America when I was 19 years old and you know what? The world was my oyster. But it did not end well. It did not end well. Because that was the hedonistic party spirit. Number two, the second step between cherishing and cultivating the Ruach HaKodesh, we just got to open our eyes and recognize. Number two, recognize. Recognize that we are absolutely, this was, this was deliverance for me. I am absolutely helpless to do anything good. There is no good thing in me apart from the Ruach HaKodesh. Romans 17, 7 verse 18. I know that in me, that is in my carnal, sick, disgusting flesh, that no good thing dwells. And when you recognize that, then you can get some deliverance. Right? You just got to admit that this is, this is a rotting carcass until you have the Ruach HaKodesh in you. In John 15, verse 5, Yahushua said, Without me, you can't do anything. Nothing. We can't do anything without pleasing, without pleasing, and without the constant empowerment of the Ruach HaKodesh. There's nothing we can do. Number three, supplication. Supplication is the third key towards cherishing and cultivating the Ruach HaKodesh. I have to petition Yahuwah in honest, contrite supplication, just like the writer of the book of Hebrews did in 13 verse 21. And no, now, excuse me, may the Elohim of peace equip you with every good Thing that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Yahusha Hamashiach. Because if it is Yahuwah alone who works in us what is pleasing in his sight, then above all, we must make supplication. And Psalms 51 verse 10 says thus, Create in me, O Yahuwah, a clean heart and put a new and right Amen. The fourth way to bring forth the Ruach HaKodesh in our life is gratitude. Gratitude. I've got to show gratitude to Yahuwah for any virtue attained or any good deed performed in my life. I give him the glory because it wasn't me. I've got to show Yahuwah my gratitude from my heart. I've got to admit that I am unable. Matthew is unable to please Yahuwah without the Ruach's power and enablement. It's only the Ruach's power and enablement within me that can bring any pleasure to Yahuwah. So I therefore must pray for that enablement. I must trust confidently in the Ruach's power and promise to give that enablement to me. Do you believe that? Of course. That's what we must do. Do what you know is right. Just do it. Just do what you know is right. And having done it, let's turn and say with all our hearts, not 
I, but the Ruach HaKodesh of Yahushua within me. Amen? Amen? That's it. So these are powerful things. As I go through the scripture and I see now, we come to the fifth step with cherishing and cultivating the Ruach HaKodesh, and that is Halakha. What's our walk going to be? You've got to take up your staff and walk in his ways daily. That means you have to eat his bread and you have to drink his life force down into you. And how do you do that? Through searching the scriptures daily and crawling before the master on bended knee before the sun rises. Because once that sun rises and you go out into the world, your manner is going to begin to stink and breed worms. So you better get the Ruach HaKodesh, the word of Yahweh in you before you go out into the world. Amen. On those days when you get up late and you just go to work, and we've all done it, man, the world hits you. But when you're up in the word and in prayer and the world hits you, it's hitting the word and it's hitting a body full of prayer and you have a defense. And that's a different day. That's a different day because that's where the victory is. And finally, the sixth, the sixth way to cherish and cultivate the Ruach HaKodesh is simply to serve. Simply to serve. The final step in cultivation of the Ruach HaKodesh, after you've recognized your helplessness, after you've recognized that you are nothing without him, you've made supplication for empowerment, you've trusted in his deliverance, you need to serve Yahweh the way you know is right. Whatever your calling is, you need to step into it and you need to just serve Yahweh the way that you know is right. And only after we have appealed to the Ruach HaKodesh's empowerment, it's only then when we act with that spiritual preparation that we'll be able to say what Shaul said to the Corinthians, by the grace of Yahuwah, I am what I am and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but grace, the grace of Yahuwah, which is in me, 1 Corinthians 15.10. We see, we have this amazing incentive to do righteousness when we walk with the Ruach HaKodesh. Because I now have the confidence that whatever righteous act that I do, it's Yahuwah who is working in me, giving me the will and the power, power to do it. I'm confident in that. Let him who serves, serve in the strength which Yahuwah supplies, that in everything Yahuwah may get the glory. That's First Peter 4.11. And to Yahuwah we say, be the glory. And we finish and close now in verse 25. Because if we live in the Ruach HaKodesh, let us also have our walk, our halakha, in the Ruach HaKodesh. Let us not desire worthless tifereth, provoking or ridiculing one another, or envying one another. It's the Ruach HaKodesh. Walk in your calling. And what a powerful, powerful chapter. Because ultimately, when you're in the Ruach HaKodesh, you'll have the discernment, 
that he is going to bring you into the covenant. And that that covenant, Hebrews 8, 6, was given as Torah. And now that you have the circumcision made by the hands of the master, which then brings in the Ruach HaKodesh that empowers you to live this life, have the discernment that we have, that no longer will you go after the lusts of the flesh, but you will walk in the power of a transformed life. And it's a life that is amazing when we walk in that. And people will ask me to do many things. And I always go back to what is it that I am called to do and that I know that I am empowered to do. That's where I have to stay because there's a lot of things that I cannot do and there's a lot of things that I am not good at. And when I try to do those, that's the work of the flesh and it never works. So I just stay in my calling. My calling is not another man's calling and another man's calling isn't my calling. So we have to be able to discern that. And we get into troubles in our congregations when people start to cover other people's callings because then they don't have have the power of the transformed life. And I just stay where I'm supposed to be. And therefore, we then can walk together because Yahweh will equip each and every one of you in your walk. And that's not where I'm supposed to be. But together, we link arms. And when two walk together, if one falls, the other can help him up. And that's the strength of community. And that's why people are moving here to Foreskin Hill on Portland Road, <laughs> Oregon. Brothers in the back. Toss your foreskins in the bucket as you leave. <laughs> right now. I don't even know what to say to that. We have a question. I bet we do. <laughs> no, I will not. <laughs> How do we equate the sacrifice of Messiah for the purpose of original sin with the handwritten ordinances held against us by the breaking of the covenant. Ooh, that was a big one. Say that again. How do we equate the sacrifice of the Messiah for the purpose of original sin with the handwritten ordinances held against us by the breaking of the covenant? Hmm. I'm not sure if I'm understanding that. Can anyone give me some clarification? The, are we talking about the original sin of Adam? I think so. Correct. Say that again, Brother John. Give hand, hand the man the mic, would you? If it had to do with the sin of Adam, that was the law of sin and death. The soul that sins shall die, and he conquered that at the resurrection. Correct? There we go, see? Thank you, John. Piece of cake. See? He's in his calling. <laughs> Just uh, wanted you to know that the, um, your study and work in scriptures are really appreciated and praise Yah that he speaks the truth in this day and this time. Thank you. Oh, praise Yahweh. Thank you. And we're just blessed that we have the online audience. I hope that the brethren are taking advantage of the fellowship finder and the live stream and that we're able to reach um, many more people. Monday night, 5 o'clock, FEMA Region 4, Adobe Connect, info at torahtothetribes.com and... Monday the 19th, not next Monday, see? Monday the 19th. Okay, Adobe Connect, but we are FEMA Region 4-ing it, right? 
which is the southeast quadrant of what used to be called the United States of America. It possibly could be that again. We could be in for a renaissance. I hope. We'll see. We'll see, right? All right. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Abba, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Abba, for your word. Abba, may you bring forth the revelation of the Ruach HaKodesh to deliver us from the iniquity of our sins and the carnality that would try and vex us and cause us to draw back. But we have set our hand to the plow, and we will not look back because we know that if we do, we are not fit for the Malchut HaShamayim. So, Yahuwah, empower us. Cultivate the Ruach HaKodesh in us, in Yahusha's mighty name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Blade blessed and stick around.